Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant, need-to-know information to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and for the team at all levels of the organization. Our goal is concise and relevant information because brevity signals respect. And the bookends of our podcast are always something to make you think deeper about life, about our topic, or both. And now, here's Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care X. Delta Care X is the title sponsor for our 2022 Leadership Immersion Courses, which is now behind us. Delta Care Rx is the premier vendor of TCN and provides pharmacy benefit management services that allow their clients to experience deep discounts utilizing a preferred local network of pharmacies that can provide same-day delivery when necessary. So thanks to Delta Care X for all the great work that they do in the hospice industry. So our guest today is Tina Gentry. She is the Chief Administrative and Advancement Officer at Telias Collaborative Network. Welcome, Tina. Thank you. It's so great to be here today, Chris. Yeah, it's good to have you, Tina. So what does our audience need to know about you? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so um, I think, interestingly, I never went to college thinking that I was going to graduate and work for a nonprofit. Um, and after graduating and spending a couple years in banking, um, I kind of fell into nonprofit work as the vice president of Chamber of Commerce locally and was there for about eight years. Um, and then I just believe I was led to work in hospice. My husband and I had relocated to Western North Carolina, and um, I was looking for a job, for but with purposeful employment. And I'm going to date myself here, but I remember opening the newspaper and seeing an ad for four seasons for a director of development. And I just felt this overwhelming um, need to apply for that particular position. And at the time, um, my godmother was going through um, a battle of cancer, and she was a hospice patient um, in a different state. But I just saw the incredible way that that interdisciplinary team came and surrounded her. And it wasn't just her, but her family, too, and, and me being part of her family. And I know what a great comfort it brought. And so I think that that timing was just impeccable. And, um, Chris, I have to say um, that you hiring me for that role as director of development truly changed my life and the life of my family. And I can't thank you enough for that. Yeah. And then after um, being in that role as director of development and kind of moving forward in uh, four seasons and expanding my role as vice president of uh, patient access and sustainable resources, I had an opportunity to go back to my hometown and be the CEO for um, our local United Way there. And I remember saying to you, Chris, whenever I was leaving, I don't know how or when, but someday you and I will work together again. And um, so I was there for six years and the stars aligned um, just the way that they were supposed to. And I am just so grateful um, now to have been back in this line of work and with TCN for four years. It's actually four years this month, if you can believe it. That's just crazy, Tina. Well, any any person with half a brain would have known to hire you. And so that was probably one of the best decisions I made. I think you're probably one of maybe my third hire or so very early on in the days at Four Seasons. And it has been such a great journey. And do you remember that kind of you speaking that prophecy definitely spoke, just stuck in my head. Um, and of course, you and I kept a good conversation going. And Tina, what makes you so effective, which in a second, I just want to ask you um, about your role at TCM. But I think what's made you so 
um, gifted in what you do. Number one, you've taught me the spirit of just the attitude of gratitude, that whole thing, and to whom much is given, much is expected, and how that attitude comes out. But you just personify that heart of what we do. And that's what makes philanthropy not something other than. I know most of my peers, we, we struggle. Well, how do we make philanthropy part of the culture of what we do? It's because of who you are that you kind of personify that. And I love how you're kind of paying that forward to people. So tell people a bit more about, so what are you doing at TCM? What's your role? Yeah, well, I have a hybrid uh, role. <laughs> and so I'm the primary coach for a couple of our members. And then in addition to that, I coach in the areas of philanthropy and marketing and volunteers for other members. And I'm also responsible, and this is so much fun, um, for our support service areas. We offer a lot of back office support services, everything from finance and going to marketing and IT. And so it's just been um, something that's played to all of my passions, and I am incredibly grateful to, to be in this role. So we're going to focus today, especially because this is the holiday season, um, the seasons of giving, the seasons of gratitude. And so let's focus on your philanthropy aspects of your role. Um, talk to us about, Tina, I know there's something you're incredibly passionate about. You're also super competent. Um, tell us why do you feel that philanthropy is important, especially in our whole hospice movement, hospice palliative care sector? Yeah, well, first, um, I just want to mention something, and you actually just spoke to it a second ago, but the word um, philanthropy is derived from the Greek word um, philanthropia, which means loving people or to love people. And I think that that is just so fitting, so fitting for all nonprofits, right, but especially fitting for our end-of-life sector. And, um, you know, I, I agree. I think that when you're in this position, you have to love people in order to work in end-of-life care, certainly, but also in order to marry the passions of our donors um, with the needs of our organizations. And so I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I just had to say that. And also I want to say that philanthropy is so much more than just donations, right? So much more than raising dollars. But for the purposes of our conversation today, we're going to focus on that, on that fundraising um, as far as dollars is concerned. And so the reason it's so important for our sector, Chris, is, I mean, there's so many reasons, but one is that it's a diversified funding stream. And, you know, that is so important to us, particularly now, if you think about um, hospice and, and serious illness care, I mean, we're reimbursed by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. Um, but some of our individuals don't have a payer source at all. But even though we're, we're reimbursed by, by those um, funding streams, it doesn't cover the cost of all of the programs and services that we provide. And typically as nonprofit organizations, we provide more than what we're required to provide through the COPs. And in order to be able to not only provide what we're required to provide, but to enhance that experience even more, we have to have diversified funding streams. In addition to that, you know, we have to think about the fact that we are in um, record inflation levels right now. I mean, I don't even know when we experienced this level of inflation before, probably when you and I were young kids. Um, and so, you know, right now, I think the average, if you take all of the inflation right now, I think the average is about 8%, maybe just a little bit higher than that. Um, but when you think about that, and then you think about the fact that we have to position our hospice and palliative care organizations for future funding cuts, we know rate cuts are coming. 
We don't know exactly what they're going to look like, and we don't know exactly when they're going to happen. Um, we did just get the new rates for some of our members. Some of them experienced rate cuts already. Some of them did get a little bump in, of, um, in an increase. But it is incredibly important that we put money back today in order to be able to um, not just survive, hopefully, but thrive in the future. I want us to think about the numbers, too, for just a minute. You know, let's take our typical nonprofit hospice organization. Um, typically, I think nonprofits have an operating margin of between one and three percent. Let's just say it's three percent, right? Um, a twenty-five million dollar organization, an organization that provides twenty-five million dollars worth of services, that would be about seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in an operating margin if they achieve that three percent. Okay. But think about an, an organization that has a robust philanthropy department and they're bringing in $750,000 or a million. We've got some members bringing in $3 million a year right now. Can you imagine, I mean, think about what that equates to in actual services if we had to raise that money through traditional services. We, we wouldn't be able to do it. There's just no way. And so. Philanthropy is important and has been important, but I think it's even more important for the future of our organizations. That is incredibly well said. And, Tina, there's several things that occur to me. You've heard me quote this before. My very first hospice CEO was an ex-healthcare administrator. And so sometimes he had these, they kind of stung when he said them, but then the older I got, the more wisdom I found there. But he'd say, any idiot can run a hospice. It's all about census, the number of patients you serve, staffing and fundraising. And I quote that quite often because it really does synthesize this very complex thing that is the hospice and palliative care segment. But I think you just put an exclamation point that the third of those is going to become so important, especially, you know, our our love and passion is the nonprofit segment. And so this is one of the things that makes us special and different besides what we believe is our focus on the bedside care, the quality of care, et cetera. But this is the thing that we don't typically do well but it should be like our saving grace, especially going into the future. Um, and then also, Tina, just something popping in my mind as you were talking, I was at uh, uh, NHPCO conference many moons ago. Many people listen to this podcast might even remember they were there too. And Jim Collins was the keynote speaker. And they asked him a question about, well, what's your best advice to the industry? And it, you know, all, he had all this fame because good to great was like all the rage. And I just remember he leaned forward and he said, you all need to figure out how to survive without Medicare. And you can hear the collective gasp in the room like, that's crazy. But yet we're going into a time where it's going to become more and more difficult. Medicare is slated to go bankrupt around 2028 or so. And so philanthropy is critical as we go into the future, even more so. So, Bettina, I think people go, but but the economy's getting bad. So it's it's just automatically we can't do well there. So just share what, what was giving, what did it look like in 2022, just in general, some statistics, some data. Yeah. Um, well, there's some good news to report and some not so good news to report. Um, and of course, 2022 is not over yet. And we're incredibly hopeful um, that we'll end the year, um, you know, with a large percentage increase in overall giving specifically for our sector. When we love, but, you know, it's college football. We love a photo finish. So this is a call out <laughs> right now. Hail Mary, right? <laughs> which, which can absolutely happen. But the fundraising effectiveness project, and that's a collaboration of um, analysts and researchers um, but they reported in July on the first quarter 
um, in philanthropy in general. And so what they were saying is that there overall has been a, about a 2% increase in philanthropy in the first quarter of 2022. So that's good news. So it did not decrease, even though we're in record high inflation, right, and, and those kinds of things. However, the not so good news is that um, donors, the number of donors dropped in that quarter by about 6%. Now, we have to think about that, right? So we're raising more money with fewer donors. Mm -hmm. um, so the donors that are giving are giving larger amounts, which is fabulous. The donors that we're seeing that are dropping off right now are those donors who typically give a little bit less than $500 a year. So they might give anywhere from $25 a year up to $500. Those are the ones that we're seeing drop. And if you think about it, it's really not shocking that that's the case mm -hmm. because those are probably the individuals that are feeling the most impact of the inflation. And they're probably having to make some some decisions, you know, about putting food on the table, paying their gas bill or, or donating to an organization. But the good news is that those that can afford to give are giving and it looks like they're giving at greater levels. So that's really, really important. The other thing that um, that I want to mention is that, you know, we talked about that Hail Mary. Well, December is kind of our Hail Mary uh, month for giving. And actually, most of the donations are given in the month of December. 30% of all donations across the country are given in the month of December. So wow. we still um, have, yeah, so we still have, a, a you know, three months left in the, well, two and a half months left in the year. But, but the most important month of giving um, is in December. So hopefully we will see um, significant increases there. So those statistics are kind of for philanthropy overall. Tina, there, is all this holding true specifically in the hospice and palliative care segment as well? Yes, um, for the most part. Now, what was so interesting was just reading the article the other day that the American Hospital Association has estimated that because of COVID, we've lost $350 billion in revenue in the healthcare sector, mm -hmm. $350 billion since since COVID. Um, and when we think about the fact that the CARES Act um, allowed for about $285 billion, they allocated about $285 billion in, in funding for um, for that, They're, we've got a lot to make up, right, over this, over this time frame. And so, again, philanthropy is more important than ever before. But what we can say overall in healthcare, again, um, as a result of that fundraising effect in this um, project, is that in the healthcare sector specifically, um, we are seeing increases in giving of about 1.3%. So 2% overall in healthcare specifically, 1.3%. But we're still seeing that that number of donors are decreasing. So we're, in, we're raising more money, but with fewer donors. So yes, it is pretty much holding true. Well. And obviously things have been incredibly challenging since 2022, but the interesting thing is just watching the work that you've done with our members. So have, has this kind of, so getting to the smaller segment of TCN, are our members been seeing still good results despite these kind of broad challenges? And so how's that kind of filtered all the way down to the people you're specifically working with? Chris, I am so proud um, to say that the majority of our members, the largest majority of our members since the pandemic have seen double digit increases in giving. Wow. Double digit increases in giving. And that is and that is so incredible, particularly when you think about the fact that in 2021, the healthcare sector saw a 2.9% adjusted for inflation increase in giving. 
but our members are seeing double digit increases. And I just think that that is absolutely incredible. Not only that, they're also seeing significant increases in first time donors and significant increases in the retention of donors. And we're seeing that there's attrition, right? We just talked about the fact that a lot of donors that we're seeing like a 5% decrease overall in the nonprofit sector. So when you think about we are increasing our retention rates at a time when that's not happening nationally, it's pretty incredible. That is incredible, Tina. And you know, um, when I hear you talk talk about what you just did and those results, um, I think about kind of our journey together. You know, the first time we worked together, I was kind of that typical CEO, big vision, a lot of energy, cheerleader, rah, rah, rah. Wasn't very interested in the details. And I always thank God that he brought me back to Four Seasons because he grew me up because I had to get interested in the details. And all that to say, I felt like what you did before was like some kind of magic. Like, I don't know how Tina does what she does. She does this magic and the money comes in the door. But the more I work with you, I see there's an art and a science to this. And so what, what would be the top three to five things that you would recommend for positioning organizations? Because I think there are probably a lot of leaders that they generally get what we're saying. Oh, my God, philanthropy is now more important than ever. Um, hopefully they have a Tina Gentry. If not, let us know. We can certainly help you. But Tina, I think they probably feel like it's just almost like some voodoo magic. Like, <laughs> So can you break it down to them as, the, as far as the art and the science of this? Yeah, I love that, Chris. I, absolutely, it's an art and a science. And, and our members are so great at the art part, right? They are just amazing at putting their personal touches and, and again, matching donors to passions. Um, but the thing that TCN is so great at, what we excel at, is that science piece. And so... Um, you know, as we move forward in, in positioning ourselves for philanthropy for the new year, I think we've got to remember one of the very first things we have to do is we have to analyze the data. We have to dig into the data. And you know me, I am honestly not a detailed person unless we're talking about numbers, right? And then I, lo- I love, love, love numbers. Um, and we've got to understand our retention rates. We've got to understand our percentage of revenue that's raised with each level of dinner. We need to understand our acquisition rates. What's our return on investment from our events? We can't make a good plan and set goals if we don't understand those things. So number one is analyze. Um, the number two thing that I would say is that we need to set goals. And so we can't just set a big lofty goal and have no idea how we're going to get there, right? So it's important to set our big goal, but then it's important to look at the data that we've analyzed and determine in each bucket for our annual campaign, how are we going to get there? What is our individual goal for each of those individual buckets? And then our individual action plans for that, right? And so that we can then obviously achieve that big goal. Then I'm going to say we need to document the plan. So you can have the best intentions in the world and you can write, you know, you you can think about it in your head all day long. But if you don't document it, sometimes it doesn't happen. Right. And we all know that when we spend time documenting that it just brings a lot of creativity to us and a lot of clarity. And so document that plan. Then we want to make sure we're working that plan every single day or doing that 20 mile march every day. We don't want to do big sprints and then get tired and burn ourselves out, right? But if we're taking small, steady steps every single day of that plan, we're going to be successful. The other thing we're going to do are hold gap meetings. Gap meetings are incredibly important when we think about our plan because there are sometimes that we set action steps that we really think are going to work, but for whatever reason, they're not. And if we're sitting down and we're looking at, okay, where are we? 
Where did we say we were going to be? What action plans did we say we were going to accomplish? We did accomplish them. Why didn't we accomplish them? And then do we need to stay that course of action or do we need to change those action steps? That is critical in any um, plan. And then the final thing that I'm going to um, say, which is, again, not not, uh, not necessarily rocket science, but it's a science, is we've got to hold ourselves accountable. And how best to do that is to make sure that we're reporting to our boards on a regular basis where we are in the area of philanthropy. We want to do that for a number of reasons, right? It, is, it does hold us accountable, um, and it lets our boards know what we're doing on a daily basis, but it also helps create an opportunity for them to understand the challenges and also to understand the opportunities. And for them to start thinking about, okay, who have I not connected the team with that maybe could help them with this particular action step or this particular goal? So again, that's the science behind it. It's not a magic wand, but it is truly spending time analyzing, setting goals, documenting your plan, working your plan every day, doing that gap analysis, and then holding ourselves accountable by meeting with our boards. Well, that's great, Tina. And I, when I listen to you, it it sounds simple, but it actually is really hard. And that's why most organizations aren't as successful as the organizations you've worked worked with. And certainly if anyone in, within the reach of our podcast here is interested, certainly get in touch with TCN and we'll get you in touch with Tina. Love an opportunity to help you to take that science and uh, you look like a rock star. Looks like it's all this magical thing. Um, and those results that Tina was sharing are, are, are very legit at a time when many other people are sitting in meetings and going, well, the economy sucks, so our, our, our results suck, and therefore you rationalize that. So, Tina, I'm going to close with this. I've, I've, I've bumped into this at a podcast earlier in 2022 and just asking people their favorite books, and it's ended up being profound. So I have a feeling for you it's going to be profound as well. So favorite book and why? Oh, Chris, you know, um, I read a lot. I don't read as much as you do, but I do read a lot. And so I couldn't just choose one. I hope it's okay, but I chose two. Um, one of the books that I chose is Great by Choice. And that's um, obviously by Jim Collins. He wrote the book, Good to Great, but I really enjoyed his book, Great by Choice. And what he says is that, um, you know, it's it doesn't matter how innovative a company is or bold in taking risks. What matters really is discipline and then having a great um not unhealthy, but a good level of fear, right? So you've got to balance that uh, that discipline with that good enough level of fear to keep us on our toes every day. And he also talks about the twenty mile march. So that's the discipline, right? We don't want to we don't want to do sprints and wear ourselves out. We want to do that twenty mile march every single day. So that was one book that has made a huge impact on me. And then the other book that's made a tremendous impact on me and my family is a book called Hung by the Tongue hmm. by Francis Martin. It is an oldie, 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 but I absolutely love it. And um, basically what that book says is that what we think, right, what we tell ourselves, what we believe is often what we speak and what we speak usually manifests itself, right? So success can be achieved easily, but we have to watch the words because our words are coming from the true beliefs that we have. So I find myself on a daily basis, and I am certainly not perfect at this, but I find myself on a daily basis reframing things that I've either said in my head to myself or reframing things that I've said out loud. Um, it's funny because my husband and I actually, even before we came across this book, we would always make our children 
if they said they couldn't do something, I can't do it, we would say you you have to change that sentence. You're not allowed to leave the room until you change that sentence. You can do it and you will do it. And so it's it's just very profound for me and I absolutely love that book. You give me goosebumps, Tina. Well, first off, you gave me that book. That was one of just a, a, so precious to me. It affirmed a general belief, but something I think I modeled as well that just once it really sunk in and something that occurred to me as you were talking, um, I went to an early Stephen Covey presentation and he had this uh, picture of the rudder and he said a small rudder on a ship can you know literally change the course of this ginormous uh, vehicle, a ship. And he then drew the corollary that our tongue was like that. He talked about the trim tab of being like the rudder of a ship. And it, it just feels so profound. This show's airing at the end of the year. Many donors out there, hopefully some within the sound of our podcast, you can change the trajectory of something through your gift, how you speak about the organization, those of you in philanthropy, those of you within the hospice programs, leader staff, all of you that are listeners. That which we think that we speak can change the trajectory of things. And Tina, this is where you've just been such a gift to the organizations we work with and kind of believing and speaking it and then that bringing the science behind it, literally changing the trajectory of some of the futures of these programs as we've partnered with philanthropy um, folks out there. And it's this beautiful circle of love. Many of those folks that have given have been impacted by the beautiful care that our members give, and then they give back, and it just creates this beautiful circle of love. And so our words matter, your words matter, Tina. Thank you for the work that you you do. And in fact, as a, I always try to think about a quote, you chose this one, so you get all the credit on this one, but I think it's so apropos. It's actually from Mother Teresa. So we're going to close as the bookend, as we always do. And this quote from Mother Teresa is, We know only too well that what we're doing is nothing more than a drop in the ocean. But if the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. And so what a great call to all of us as we end our years, begin to think about a new year of 2023, um, and the difference that everyone can make in what we do, what we say, and even how we give. So Tina, thank you for that. Appreciate the work that you do. And thanks for being a guest on our show today. And we hope that all of you, our listeners, have enjoyed today's podcast. If you like it, subscribe, share it with your friends and your coworkers. So thanks for listening to TCN Talks.